Well, it's an absolute joy to be here, uh, to be with you, and thanks to Christoph and uh, you as a whole church uh, for your welcome. I wonder if I could just read a couple of more verses from the Bible uh, to you before we have a bit of a look at that passage we read from uh, 2 Corinthians 4. You might just like to listen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then that verse with which 2 Corinthians 4 starts. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. On a Thursday night, not too long ago, our church had a keep fit evening, and they they invited me to go along and said, you should come and try this, Rob. And and so I went along, men's keep fit fit evening, and they, they took my pulse. And then they asked me to jump up and down on an orange box for about two minutes. And so I did that, and and when I finished, they, they took my pulse again. And if you reasonably fit, your pulse comes back within five or six minutes. Uh, mine began to come back on the following Saturday uh, after, uh, afternoon. <laughs> By the time I had finished, I had literally lost heart. And I mean literally. If you said, well, do it again, just that, no, no, I would literally lost heart. Nobody has told me about you. I know none of you so far as I know. Nobody said, by the way, Peter and Susan are going to be there Sunday morning. Say, say something to them. If you're Peter and Susan, you're probably dying now. But, but nobody did that. I know none of you so far as I know. But some of you may have lost heart. You may have lost heart in a number of areas. And even if you haven't, you may go through a time in your life where you lose heart. So put it in the drawer for years to come. I wonder why we sometimes lose heart. Paul starts this passage in 2 Corinthians. We have this ministry. Because we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I wonder if it's possible any of you have have lost heart in the ministry to which God has called you. I wonder if there might be somebody here and you feel you have little to give. That's why I read that passage on 1 uh, Corinthians. God loves to use the weak things of uh, the world. Let me tell you a little of my story. I love the idea you have so many kids in this church. It's amazing, isn't it? So many young people. I say to church leaders all over the world, if the roof is leaking, put a bucket underneath it, but pour resources into young people and youth work. I say to parents all over the world, stop giving the church youth leader a hard time. Do you know why we give the church youth leader a hard time as parents? We want them to do in one night a week what we have not managed to do in 16 years. Get behind your young people and your Sunday school teachers, junior church leaders. Boy, I wonder if I expect they're all out with the kids at the moment. But oh, I love those people that work with the very young. My mum and dad didn't go to church. We lived in a little terraced house. We were very poor. We didn't have um, an inside toilet. We didn't have running hot water. We didn't have a bathroom. We didn't have toilet paper. Don't, don't even ask. Except even now, I can't look at a copy of the Southwest Echo without a million memories coming, <laughs> coming flooding back. 
And mum and dad didn't go to church, but one day, Miss Williams, from a little brethren assembly, a gospel hall on the corner of my street, knocked on my door. And she said, would any boys and girls in this house like to come to Sunday school? And my mother said, you'd like to go. And Miss Williams took me by the hand, and she led me down the street and into the world of Sunday school. Miss Williams never did have children of her own, but Miss Williams had thousands of children. They recently asked me to speak at the 100th anniversary of that little gospel hall. And as I left, and it wasn't that long ago, I promise you, as I left, somebody took my coat. And I turned and a voice said, do you remember me? It was Miss Williams. I thought she was 102 when she came to get me when I was four. <laughs> I only just stopped myself saying, you're still alive. Miss Williams, I wonder if Miss Williams ever got discouraged. I wonder when she once had only five or six kids in her class, did she ever think it was worth it? When Miss Williams led the hands of kids and led them into Sunday school, did Miss Williams ever lose heart? Jesus said this, my father is the gardener. That means you never know. When you plant a seed, you never know because his father is the gardener. And you can't tell by numbers. You might have a church of 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, I don't care. And you might have a struggling little place, but you just can't tell. You might have a little group in with your youth group and, and they're, they're, they're struggling, but you never can tell. You can't just tell by the outward stuff sometimes. And you know, a man who seemingly had nothing changed my life. I'm about 15 and I don't really understand church and I don't understand school. My mum and dad could read and write, uh, mum anyway, but but not much more than that. And I I didn't really understand school. I wasn't academic. I, I became a lawyer later on, so I must have got the hang of it. But I didn't understand school. In fact, when I was 14, my school report records that there are 34 kids in my class. I have come... Uh, 34th. My teacher writes on my report, he's making no use of what little ability he has. I don't argue with that. And all I want to do is be a rock and roll singer. And I'm walking down the road one day and I'm about 14 or 15 years old and I'm about to drop out of church because I don't understand that. And I'm about to drop out of school because I don't really understand that. And I've passed it to the grammar school but all these kids and this system is a mystery to me. We have three books in our home. We don't have any tutors like the other kids. We... I just want to be a rock and roll singer. And I'm walking down the road and I've got an Elvis Presley style haircut and a leather jacket and ten embassy cigarettes in my back pocket. And an older man from church comes up to me. Arthur Tovey. Arthur and his wife were poor. They lived in two rooms in his mother's house. Arthur and his wife were told at that time they could not have children of their own. Arthur had never passed an academic examination. Arthur had a very bad speech impediment, but they loved kids. And he said to me, Rob, next Wednesday night in our home, we're having a little Bible study for some young people. Would you like to come? Ladies and gentlemen, well, all you want to do is walk onto the stage in Las Vegas dressed in gold lame. A Bible study on a Wednesday night is not the greatest offer you've ever had. But I said, yes. He was a brilliant psychologist. 
He taught us the Bible as best he could for about 25 minutes. And then he erected a table tennis table in that little room. He put two bits of hardboard on, on top of a table. And we played ping pong with the bats up against our chest. If the ball went underneath the table, it was an engineering job to get it out. And then with what little money he had, they bought us fish and chips. And as we're coming back from the chip shop and the vinegar is seeping through the paper, Arthur had told Margaret to get the tea brewing. When you walked into Arthur and Margaret's home, you felt like a king. No matter what teacher said about you or anybody else, Arthur told you that you were special, that God had given you gifts. If you missed that class, he'd come hunting you down. When I was about 17... He said, Rob, do you ever take part in debates or drama in school? I said, Arthur, I don't even put my hand up in class. He said, I think God is giving you a gift of public speaking, and I'm going to teach you. That was scary. He was the worst public speaker you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> and he got out an old flannel graph. Some of you older folk will remember the old piece of flannel, and you stuck characters to it, and he taught me how to tell the parable of the prodigal son to kids. I wrote a book called Bringing Home the Prodigals 15 years ago. I've gone all over the world talking about that parable. From Bangkok to Borneo, from New York to Newark. In jungles, and concert halls. He taught me to teach that parable to kids. When I was 39, uh, the Law Society of England and Wales asked me to be one of their keynote speakers in front of a thousand lawyers in Vienna. And as I'm about to go on stage, I rang Arthur. He lived in a little prefabricated house in the north of Cardiff. And I said, Arthur, I'm about to go on stage. A thousand lawyers out there. I said, you taught me to do this. He said, did I? And a couple of years after that, I was promoting one of my books in America. And they got him alive as a surprise to me uh, into the radio station. And they interviewed him. And at the end of the interview, they said to Arthur, what do you think of the boy who came to your Bible class? He said, I'm proud of him. I cried on air. He died a couple of years ago. And I went to see him in the hospital. He's practically comatose, but I think he could hear me. And I put my mouth next to his ear and I said, Arthur, thank you. You changed my life. And I kissed him. Arthur and Margaret had nothing. You wouldn't want Arthur preaching here this morning. He had nothing. But Arthur and Margaret must have got up one day and said, Darling, we don't seem to have very much, do we? We haven't got any money. We can't have kids of our own. I've got this speech impediment. We, we've never passed an exam between us. But you know what? We've got a couple of rooms. I think if we put two bits of hardwood on top of the dining table, we could play ping pong. I could teach him a bit of the Bible, couldn't I? Why don't we give it a shot? He must have been like the little boy on the hill. And he's on the hill and Jesus and the disciples are up there and he realizes there's a problem. The crowd aren't being fed. And, and then he looks down at the lunch his mother made him and this incredible plan grows in his mind. And he stands up and he begins to push through the crowd and something in him says, sit down, who do you think you are? It's Peter, James and John up there. And he would have sat down. But he knew if he did, he could never live with himself. And he hears him say perhaps to Peter, it's just the lunch my mother made me. If the master wants it, he can have it. And suddenly he sees the hands of the carpenter calling down the blessing of Yahweh on the lunch his mother made him. And breaking it to the crowd. And when he was old, he told the story to his children's children. 
Arthur and Margaret had almost nothing. But you and I will not be judged by what we don't have. He had something and he began to use it. They could have lost heart, couldn't they? You could lose heart. I've got nothing to give. What difference could I make? You could change the world. You could change somebody's world. The kids hanging around the corner. Don't you think they have dreams? I think they have dreams. Don't lose heart. And then there's that incredible list of things. Listen to this. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Which is the worst of all those? Do you know what I think the worst is? Perplexed. I wonder if anybody here this morning is perplexed. What is going on in my life? Why is this happening to me? I've already said I know none of you. But they will be single, married, young, old. People who are well, people who are illness. Kids doing well, kids breaking your heart. Finance great, in trouble, in debt. All kinds of situations. And in some of your lives... Life will be hard right now. And you may be perplexed. Why is this happening to me? You might be hanging on to faith by by your fingernails almost. Some time ago, Diane and I were asked to speak at one of our weekends in care for the family that we run for parents with kids with very challenging situations. These kids have uh, eating disorders, they're addicted to illegal drugs, they have emotional or or physical challenges and and our people took these parents away for a weekend and I was due to speak to them on the Saturday night. On the Friday night, Dan and I were speaking somewhere else and I get there about 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening, I go into this room, there are about 60 people, they're, they're singing a worship song, they've got their backs to me and I've got a message in my pocket ready to speak to them. I sit down at the back and and there's a woman in front of me and suddenly she bursts into tears and and rushes out of the room. I go out after her. I I say, what what is wrong? How can I help you? She said, you're Rob, aren't you? I said, yes. Well, she said, it was kind of you to come after me. I say, how can I help you? She said, I don't think you can help me. She said, my son was addicted to illegal drugs and the dealers caught him and set him on fire. I begged him not to give evidence in court against them, but he said he would. But he didn't turn up at court. And the police came to my home looking for him. And I went out searching for him, and eventually I found him dead in a squat. Two men were seen running from the squat. And the police are trying to work out whether he was murdered, whether he took his own life, or whether he overdosed accidentally. And I I pray with her, uh, and then I go back into the room and... And I sit in the front row and I'm ready to speak and i got a message in my pocket. And a young woman is speaking. She's about 28 years old. She said, my husband and I so wanted children and now I became pregnant. And uh, before my little girl was born, my husband contracted cancer. And when my little girl was born, she had Down syndrome. And, and then my husband died. She, she's six years old now. And she said, the the other day I'm in the garden and I'm with a friend from church who's ill and I'm praying for my friend to be well. And suddenly my little girl comes out and she puts one hand on my friend's arm and she puts the other hand in the air and she begins to pray for my friend to be made well. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm sat there and i got this message in my pocket that doesn't feel anything like as good as when I prepared it. 
And I think, what on earth can I say to these people? And then it comes to me. And I say this to them. Some of you have disabled children, don't you? And they nod. And you wish they were well. Yes. But you love them anyway, don't you? And they nod again. And I think they thought I was about to say, that's how God loves you. He loves you anyway. But I didn't say that. I said, that's how you love God. You don't love God because everything in the garden's rosy. You love him anyway. Are you a Christian say, God's blessed my home, he's blessed my family, he's blessed my business, he's blessed my church? Enjoy those times, don't knock them. But that's not the test. The test is when you say with an old prophet, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the produce of the olive fail and there are no sheep in the store, still will I rejoice in you. And I said to these dear people, I know that some of your faith might seem weak and poor, but do you see how precious your love is to God? Because you love Him anyway. And I want to say to some of you here this morning, you might feel rubbish, Christians. You're hanging on by your fingertips, but life is hard for you right now. But you are hanging on. Do you see how precious that is to God? Your kids may be breaking your heart, but you're hanging on. That is precious love. I was speaking at a big conference shortly after uh, I'd, I'd, I'd finished that, 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 that talk. And, and there's kind of thousands of people there. And suddenly, here's this woman coming up the aisle with her daughter. This young girl. And I hug her and I hold her. Hang in there. Don't lose heart. And finally, it ends like this. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we we are being renewed day by day. It was the last night before he died. Do you ever go into a room and the door clicks behind you and you're never exactly sure what's going on? The disciples had no idea when they walked into that room that night. As the door clicked behind them the night before he died, what would happen? They're in the upper room. It's another Passover meal. But they didn't know what was coming down the tracks. Three things rocked their little world. One of you will deny me. One of you will betray me. And then worst of all, I'm going to leave you now. (laughs) They left everything to follow him. Homes and family and businesses. Do you know, when, when my kids were small, my, my son used to say, where are you going, Dad? And I'm saying, I'm going to, can I come with you? Peter says, where are you going that I can't come? And their heads are reeling. And then he says this, don't let your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to get one ready for you. You got this room ready for me, didn't you? you got the pa- I asked you to get a Passover room ready for me, didn't I? I'm going to get one ready for you. You must lift your heads to that other world. And ladies and gentlemen, somehow we've got to recapture in the Christian community the reality of that other world. We simply must lift our heads as Paul urges us at the end of that passage, to lift our heads. Otherwise, this world is too hard. We just lose heart.
Let me tell you, I think it's probably my favorite story. It's of a little boy whose parents own one of the very first telephones. They lived on the plains in, in America. And he said it was an incredible thing. It was a wooden little thing. And, and my mum would get it and she'd wind it up. And she would say, information please. And a voice would say, this is information. And information please would get them the time or the weather or a number. And, and he said, one day I'm nine years old and I bang my thumb with a hammer. But mum and dad are out. So there's no point crying. And then I remember the telephone. And I get a little stool and I stand on it and I wind it up and I say, information please. And a voice says, this is information. And I say, I bang my thumb. And information please said, is your mummy in? No. Is your daddy in? No. Is it bleeding? No. Could you get to the icebox? Yes. Hold some ice against it. He said it worked. He said, after that, I rang information please for anything. <laughs> information please taught me to spell disappear. She helped me with my geography homework. She told me where Philadelphia was. <laughs> and when my pet canary died, I cried and said, why would God make anything that can sing so beautifully and let it die? Information please said, Paul, you must always remember there are other worlds to sing in. And then my parents moved to New York City, and I was out of their area. And anyway, I didn't believe information, please, could live in this new plastic phone. And I never rang her again until I was 24 years old. And I flew into my old town, and I'm in an airport lounge on the edge of the city. And I look at the phone and think, I wonder. And I dial, and I say, information, please. And her voice says, this is information. And I say, could you teach me to spell disappear? And she said, I expect that thumb is better by now. And I said, have you any idea what you meant to me? She said, have you any idea what you meant to me? We couldn't have children of our own. I used to love it when you rang me. Now, I'm very old. I'm not well. I only come a couple of hours a week. But if you're in my area, try me, won't you? I, I, I'd love to talk to you. And he said, I promised I would. And when I was in her area, I would ring her. And we would often talk. And one day, I rang and I said, information, please. And a different voice said, this is information. And I said, well, could, could, I, could I speak to Sally? And, and the lady said, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Sally died just a couple of weeks ago. She only came in a couple of hours a week. She was very old. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry to have troubled you. No, wait. Is your name Paul? Why, yes, it is. Well, Paul. Sally said, if you happen to ring, we must be sure to give you this message. Paul, you must always remember there are other worlds to sing in. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This life is not fair. Everything doesn't work out well. Sometimes you don't even get the answers to all the prayers you want. 
Good people die too young. There's lots wrong. But it's not the end. It's not the end. One of the greatest coaches in America used to walk into the team uh, lounge where, where, where everyone was going badly and he'd say, it's not over till it's over. Sometimes as Christians we seem as if we're holding our breath as who will win. It is totally decided who will win. It's not over till it's over. There will be a sorting out. There is another world. Don't lose heart. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary trouble are achieving for us a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen will last forever. God bless you.